0: One night, he sent the kids out in the car, took a gun in front of Tina, put it to his head, and said, I'm ending it all right now. Pulled the trigger, and it didn't go off. It misfired. He pulled the trigger again, and it misfired again.
1: It's it's very encouraging now to see their son, James and Tina's son, AJ, who would come over. He would always show up at our house around supper time. And he would stand outside the bait window, and he would look in to see if we were eating. And so, of course, we would go out, AJ, you want to come in and eat? Yeah, yeah. But now AJ has his own family. He has two children. They just bought a house. And him and Joanna have started their own their own traditions.
2: Dear young married couple, you're in a busy season of your life. You're probably working and involved in ministry. On top of that, you might even be parents or students. You're max. But you really want to stay connected in your marriage.
3: And that's why we're bringing this podcast to you.
2: I'm Adam King.
3: And I'm Carissa King. And we work with busy couples just like you in our counseling office here in Sacramento, California. We also work with couples all over the world through online counseling. And our couples are really just looking for ways to communicate with each other more effectively. Some of them are looking to heal from a breach in trust or find direction in fulfilling the purpose that God has for them.
2: So come and join us as we have a conversation We'll talk with therapists, authors, pastors, and other couples who will pour into us, giving us tools to become more intimately connected, get adventurous, and find purpose. Hey everyone, we are really excited today to be interviewing Brother and Sister Elder from Pueblo, Colorado. Um, We have some really awesome stuff in store. You really want to stick around and listen to the whole thing. But we're going to be talking about traditions and family.
3: Thank you so much for being here with us and allowing us to interview you. Um, I think this topic first came about because we were here talking about a training and um, the topic of marriage and family came up. And I think you, Brother Elders, started um, talking passionately about this Specific area about uh, how Pueblo is a city that has a lot of brokenness, a lot of broken homes, broken people, um, people who were raised in dysfunction, and how you've seen a lot of people come from that and develop new normals and traditions and structure. And so, um, if you guys can just share with us a little bit about your background here in Pueblo, your ministry, and then we'll jump into the topic.
0: Well, The Lord called us here actually in about 1987. That's when He began to deal with us, and I did not like Pueblo. (laughs) So I was still evangelizing. Actually, we were in California at the time. And uh, so it wasn't until 1990 that God made His vision clear. That's a whole different story. He actually began to deal with me a year before we came here, and I wrote a book on restoration how to restore the brokenness because not only families but this church was broken mm-hmm. uh, failure in leadership etc and so 1990 is the year that god called us here in just a few days we'll be celebrating 30 years of wow. pastor
1: congratulations That's thank sick. you Lori? When we came we didn't have any kids we were here three years before our first son was born jeffrey and then and two years later. Almost three years was Mitchell, and then in 2000, Melody. Mm. So we have established basically all our family traditions right here in Pueblo. Wow. All of our kids were born in the same hospital in the same room. Wow. So that kind of is a tradition, (laughs) (laughs) although we don't plan on carrying on that tradition anymore.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's neat. So you guys have been pastoring here for 30 years, and then how long have you been married?
0: We have been married from June the 9th of 1984. Okay. So we have been married, this will be 36 years this oh. year.
3: And then if you guys could also share um, your background and qualifications as ministers, parents, your education, that would be great.
1: I was born in a pastor's home, well, when my mom, when I was three. My dad and mom moved to Cushing, Oklahoma, to start a home missions work. Mm. So that's all I've really known is the ministry. I graduated high school and I did take one year of college at Oklahoma State University as a piano major.
3: Awesome. And you play the organ.
1: Yes, I play the organ.
0: She's a classical pianist. Don't let her fool you. She's really good.
3: (laughs) That's awesome.
0: I was born in Salina, Kansas in 1963, the same year that my parents prayed back through to the Holy Ghost. Mm. When I was three, God called my parents to Hutchinson, Kansas. And so basically all I know is the ministry. They were there for 44 years when my father died in a tragic accident. Mm. And so the church was passed on to another young man who incidentally has done a fabulous job. Mm. Um, so I graduated from the school that my father started I actually came late I came as a junior and and went ahead and graduated there did some work at uh, Hutchinson Community College but when I was 17 a friend of mine asked me if I would preach a revival for his friend in Louisiana he had two revivals for me so I asked my father I wasn't even out of high school I was going to high school, going to college, and working. I, that was some of the funnest, most orderly time of my life. My life was in great order at that time. But anyway... Um, He asked me to preach these revivals. My father said, sure, go ahead, son. And I never went home. God just kept opening doors for me from that. My second revival, I was there five weeks. We prayed 28 people through to the Holy Ghost. And so I was panicking. I'd never preached that much in my life. (laughs) I was calling my dad saying, what do I preach now, dad? And he'd say, I don't know, son. You better get a hold of God. (laughs) But I've been preaching ever since. I love the work of an evangelist, but in 1990, God did bring us here. I did later on finish my master's at Wilson University, and uh, that's uh, where we are now. Just. Yeah.
3: In fact, you taught my very first hermeneutics class as a prereq to my doctoral program.
0: I think I remember that. It
3: was like about seven or eight years ago. Yes,
0: I remember that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much, you guys. I know you bring so much wisdom to the table, anointing. And
2: experience.
3: Yeah.
2: So we would like to hear um, a bit about how, because you guys are both busy people. Running a church is extremely, you know, just crazy. (laughs) I, I know things happen. But you guys have also maintained, and we we can see just mm-hmm. by because we've known you for a long time, we can see how you've kept your nuclear family so strong, and I'm sure throughout ups and downs and church buildings and housing changes and sickness and in health and all of the other things um, and I know a bit about um, brother elder your your dad's story and how he was. Uh, very focused on creating those traditions that we're going to talk about. Um, so we would like to hear a bit about like that story and how you guys formed your family to withstand the trials and 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 maybe some of the strategies you guys use to not get overwhelmed by the burdens of life and ministry. How do we keep balance with all of this with the family so that later on down the road, we don't lose our family through it?
1: I think it's very important that you keep your family high on the priority list. When we first had the boys and then Melody, but especially with the boys because they're closer in age, my husband turned down a lot of opportunities to focus on our family. And I deeply appreciate that because the boys needed that strong hand in their life and they needed the security of a dad that was home consistently, not always traveling and searching and striving for his own personal dreams, but we were his dream.
0: I really feel like that God spoke to me. I, I did a before I, God has really opened doors for me to minister everywhere in the world, which I'm very grateful for. Because you're a singer. Yeah, you, is that what you're talking about? Or I, well, the just the preaching and the singing, yeah. you know. Uh, the doors, I've just been grateful to God. He's opened the doors for us. However, for some reason, the Lord let me realize that raising boys is different. They need their dad time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I am so grateful to God that I had the dad time with my father. My oldest brother passed away. In fact, my oldest son is my oldest brother's namesake. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Uh, That really changed a lot of dynamics between my father and myself and my father invested incredible time in me and just made me such a part of his world and my world a part of his world that I've had those kind of foundations, thankfully. That's a whole story in itself. He understood his inadequacies and introduced me to great men of God who are my heroes Uh, sports heroes are not and have never been my heroes men of God have been my heroes and so uh, we had that background and I just felt like that's what we needed with our boys and then when God blessed us with melody my daughter as well Um, so we made the decision to stay home and be with them and I have never regretted that decision not one time I don't multitask very well. Most men don't, but especially me. So that was the will of God for me was to be a father to those boys. And I'm eternally grateful that God has given me the children that he's given me. So,
2: so I hear you say that I don't multitask very well. What does that mean to you? Like Multitasking is that I'm, I'm flying other places and then come home and try to be daddy? Or try to put take off a hat and put on another?
0: Um, what does that look like? Well, to me, uh, I don't do well simultaneously doing various things. I, I have—my priorities are my family, this church, and then—well, every year, the first year. In fact, it's the first year that I've been doing this, this already, every year— I evaluate my life. I've been doing this since I was a young man in three areas. in my relationship with God, my relationship to my wife, and then after that, my family. And then after that, personal dreams and and growth. How well am I doing in those areas? And I've done that for years. And you do that
2: like at the new year, like take inventory?
0: Every new year. Some years I've been really good and some years I've been really bad. <laughs> but... Uh, You don't get a second chance with your children. They're only young once. And so because I don't multitask, I chose them. Some men can. They can do it. But I can't. Mm. I I couldn't back then. And so uh, I chose this area, and I've never regretted it. Mm. I hope that answered your question.
3: Yes. So... um we want you to talk specifically about some of the ways that people can implement tradition and structure in their homes um, as a married couple and then also with children, uh, especially when they come from broken homes. And I think all of us can benefit from this, even if we haven't come from broken homes. Um, but could you guys kind of share some of those practical tips with the folks who are listening?
1: Routine is very important. Because kids need security. Even when they're teenagers and they start pushing the envelope and they start wanting to have their own independence, they still need that routine and that structure. And as a parent, when you give them that and you see it go full circle and they come back around, it brings security to them Mm -hmm. and it really brings happiness and contentment to them through routine and structure traditions don't put yourself in a box anything can become a tradition mm-hmm. find what your kids like to do find what your husband enjoys make it your own tradition mm-hmm. make it your own annual vacation or you know we we went to a lot of church conferences no limits was one of our traditions mm-hmm. yeah. so it can traditions can be anything and just include your kids in your world mm-hmm every day, make them a part of your world. I love to see your daughter on your Instagram stories. It's awesome. She's a part of your world. And then as they get older, you'll become a part of their world because it'll just be natural.
3: That's good. What were some of the traditions and um, maybe even just structures that you guys had in your marriage before the kids came along? Like, how are you preparing for that?
0: You know, um, the greatest thing that ever happened to Lori and I is the day we got married, I moved her 900 miles away from her mom and dad and 700 miles away from my mom and dad. So we depended on each other. We, we probably didn't think it was a great thing back then, especially her. She was uh, so, so connected to her parents. I would, I'd already been out evangelizing for almost three years. So I was already independent, but she wasn't. But w- I love music. Music is a major part of my life. It's not Lori's. She's a very wonderful musician, but it, it's just because she's a woman of routine and discipline, not because she loves it and it's her passion. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is one of my passions. And it is worship. It's not just the skill, it's the worship that is so vital to my life. So that's become one of our traditions. For example at Christmas time, and this has been a part of the elder family for generations when we're all finished eating and all of that on Christmas and hunting and all of the stuff that goes on. In the evening my mom would sit down at the piano or the organ and we would all sing Christmas carols and the harmony was magnificent. All, all of my siblings are fabulous singers, and now all of my kids and their kids are fabulous singers. So that's a tradition that was carried on from our family. Love that. By
2: the way, um, so on the way here, we were in his truck, in Brother Elder's truck, and he played a brand-new single. I believe it's a single, right? Uh, Mary, Did You Know? and it is just beautiful so Thank you. we'll have to link that so they can listen to that themselves um, but I, yeah that's so beautiful and i could just see like that always wasn't there for your kids so your kids are amazing singers now um but you were you were making a tradition i guess that was continued by your parents yes so you were you were learning to sing And you learned that love of of creativity and sitting around doing it as a family. And then you continued that till now.
0: And they continue it with their children, hopefully, you know, that's one of their traditions. But, you know, it may not be as long as they have their family traditions. For example, we used to travel back every holiday to either her parents or my parents until we had children, and then it became extremely difficult. So one day, Lori and I literally, in these co- in these words and context, we said, look, we're going to start our own family traditions. We're going to start having our Christmases here or whatever here, you know, birthdays, etc. I know that's going to hurt Papa and Grandma. We're not trying to do that, but we have to give our kids some family memories and traditions. That's extremely important. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we can get into that because so many kids, families, are the people in this church, when they came to God, had no prior history. Foster care, broken homes, some of them even coming off the street. And uh, I was talking with you about that scripture in First Peter where Peter says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praise of Him who called us out of darkness or nothing. Mm -hmm. There was no history. And the children of Israel, their beginnings was in the month of Nisan, the 12th day of the month. They celebrate that every year. Uh, Those have become traditions and part of their history. Well, traditions are an important part of family. Stories are an important part of family. Later on, your kids roll their eyes and say, Oh, God, I've heard Dad say that 4,000 times. (laughs) But that's an important part of of history and tradition. And when God brings us into the church, He wants to start those. Probably somebody needs to write a book with a lot of resources Mm. in this area to help because so many people, are coming in the church today from brokenness, from nothingness. Mm -hmm. But God wants to make power. He told Abraham, Mm -hmm. I will bless them that bless you. Mm -hmm. And from thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Mm -hmm. There is that tradition, that beginning. So uh, let my wife add on to that. One tradition
1: that was... Our tradition is when we would go to a Chinese restaurant, my husband would take the fortune cookies and he would tell the kids, Now you can't read these. Dad has to read these because they're in Chinese and only dad can read Chinese. (laughs) And so he would take it and he would open it up and he would say, This says, Mitchell, what a great young man you are going to become because God has his hand on your life. Or he would just make something up random and tell them that's what it said. But they couldn't read it because they couldn't read Chinese. So one time we were sitting there and Mitchell grabbed the fortune cookie and he said, Jeff, I'm going to read this fortune cookie for you. So he opens it up and he says, you may not get a 30-06, but you will get a 410 or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you can make anything a tradition, just That's something you repeat that your kids know they're, it's going to happen.
2: Hey friends, we'll be right back to our interview, but one quick note, if you love what you're listening to, you might also enjoy going through our card decks that we designed to help couples stay connected and in each other's world.
3: So there's Foundations, which is our starter deck, and it's all about boosting your communication skills. And then there's Sexpectations, which is all about spicing up your intimate connection. And then there's Realizations, which is a deck for all couples, but especially dating or engaged couples who want to see how well they really know each other. So grab a deck or two or three by heading over to our website, dearyoungmarriedcouple.com
0: slash cards. All right, back to the show. I had forgot about that, but even to this day, sometimes Mitchell, who is very, very, uh, Mitchell's the relational guy, but he's quiet about it. He'd get mad at me for telling this. But to this day, sometimes he'll say, Hey, Dad, can you read my fortune? You know, and he's married. And, but that, I forgot about that, but that that's tradition sweet. is stuck.
2: And, and that's such a good point, that whatever you do repeatedly, and especially if we want to make something, um, it's kind of nostalgic, but it doesn't, aren't those nostalgic memories the thing that kind of are the glue? they are almost like because what do we have but memories yeah and if we could create those beautiful memories that that takes time that takes intention it takes a lot of um i don't know consistency
0: yeah determination
2: yeah
1: another thing we would tell them very often is i love you more than something in their world that they just wanted or they really i love you more than a million horses Mm -hmm. i love you more than a thousand shotguns i love you more than a gazillion poly pockets just something that they could relate to well and
0: i don't know about lori but my intent for that is to show them that love for one another is greater than things. We rarely ever told our children, and this is just our traditions, we never used physical expressions of beauty. Now we admire that, but I didn't want their value to be in whether they were pretty by the world standards or not. We would tell them, you're precious. And then we would try to find ways where there was that, uh, uh, there's a stock market expression, intrinsic. There was that intrinsic value because physical beauty fades, but who they really are never fades. God gave them that value. And so we've tried to do that not only with these, but with the people that God has brought into this church is to people want value. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and David was masterful at this. He would say, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my... Soul. soul evaluation is so important, and we do so little soul evaluation. Mm-hmm. All of our values are measured externally and temporarily. Mm-hmm. That passes, that fades, but he that does the will of my Father abideth forever. And so can we do that? Can we do that with these people coming in? Mm-hmm. Can we show them the value? They never had a father to show them that value. They never had a mother to tell them to read a Chinese, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So find creative ways in the church to bring that familial atmosphere out of that, the creativity of flow, and they'll begin their own traditions. One thing I do not want to omit is so many of our traditions begin at the house of God, especially with these people. Mm-hmm. Our younger kids, I'm thinking of Randy and Barbara Williams, they come off the street. Horrible lives. Uh, they have their own testimony. Memphis came, his dad ran off to another woman, broken teenage boy. I can just go through names and we may deal with some of these. But when they came, no value whatsoever, no self-esteem, you know, uh, for lack of a better way to define how they feel about themselves Uh, and so trying to find ways where they feel the family atmosphere the family expression and know that God is their father it's one thing to tell someone that God is their father but they have to feel that God is their father they have to experience And we know that's through the Holy Ghost. But Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples. If you have love one to another. Love is the hardest way to build a church. But it's the most powerful and is the greatest way to build a church.
1: I remember taking those young people. I don't remember how many there were, but we had a very small home. 666 square feet to be exact. (laughs) Very small. And we didn't have much money. (laughs) Of course, the kids didn't have any money. So we went to our house and we bought the little Totino pizzas. Mm -hmm. We could only cook two at a time. But that's what we had for those kids. And they just sat on the floor. We didn't have a lot of furniture. So the majority of them were on the floor and we were cooking Totino pizzas. But that was their family. And that's what we did for fellowship. So you don't have to have a lot of monetary reserves to make traditions, or to make people feel like they're a part of your family. That's good. I feel like
2: you're the type of people to make that a fun experience, even though we're sitting on the floors eating two pizzas at a time, <laughs> which probably went pretty quickly between oh, you my guys. Goodness,
0: with all those young kids. You know. yeah.
2: <laughs> but you're bringing the fun into it. It's not a drudgery.
3: You guys have shared multiple stories just while we've been here this weekend. Of people in your church that you have adopted into the family of God, into your family, and made them feel, um, made them realize their royalty, their value. And um, I was wondering if you guys could share the story of your neighbors.
0: James and Tina Salas are phenomenal. Uh, James didn't even graduate from high school. I don't think I'd have to check with him again. I don't want to misrepresent. Some of the salvation of James is he did join the Marines and they did instill some discipline. But James grew up without guidance of a father. Uh, A lot of days James lived on the streets. He knows what it's like to be hungry. In fact, if you follow James Salas on Facebook or Instagram, he does a lot of foodies. (laughs) 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 Food selfies. And, And that some people may laugh, but I... Pardon the emotion.
3: It's okay. It's right.
0: I just know where he came from. Many days he lived on the street and had nothing to eat. And now he is a very successful businessman. God has blessed him so abundantly. So he can afford to take his wife anywhere he wants to take her. So he takes pictures of that. He's not bragging. He's thankful. Yeah. And I know the, the, the feelings, you know, but it wasn't always that way. James and Tina moved across the street, and if you listen to his story, the first time I went to meet my neighbors, he was out, sm- out back smoking marijuana, and he <laughs> knew I was a preacher. So he wouldn't even come in and greet me. He was just, he was petrified of me, and I don't know why. I don't even know how he found out I was a preacher. But, um, Very brusque, very abrupt, uh, lots and lots of anger in his life, unresolved anger. And uh, so he would do drugs and Sister Tina secretly would get into alcohol. I I don't know how far or if she did go into drugs, but it finally culminated in, in just the total breakup of their nuclear family. And it wasn't that they didn't love each other. It wasn't that James was being unfaithful. It was just the unresolved sin, no cognizance of the value of the family, the nuclear family, no real traditions. So I would stand in my window at night and see the police show up and the sheriff show up and the screaming and the cursing and, the, and I would stand there and I would pray. And seven years we prayed. And finally my kids invited their kids to church and they came and the miracle started. Mm-hmm. But it got worse before it got better. James continued to go deeper into drugs and tore up a successful business, had a phenomenal business. Lost it all. Tina finally came and said, Paul, I can't live with James anymore. I've tried. And two years previous to that, Lori had taught her a Bible study. She sh- She's seen the truth, saw the truth, but she did not act on the truth because she was so influenced by her husband. The bondage of sin. So finally James met me after Tina left him and said, what do I do? And the, the, the whole climax of that is one night he sent the kids out in the car, took a gun in front of Tina, put it to his head and said, I'm ending it all right now. Pulled the trigger and it didn't go off. It misfired. He pulled the trigger again and it misfired again. It was the hand of God that protected him from taking his own life. And that's when She couldn't take it anymore, left, and he came and met me in the middle of the road. And he said, I I can't do this anymore. And I said, James, you can't make deals with God. You got to totally humble yourself and be obedient to him. And he was willing. And the first night he came on a Wednesday night, I remember vividly before we even got through the second song, he was in the altar and, and God began to, uh, demons began to flee out of him. He began to cry out as those demons left him. And then it. after that was gone, he just fell in the altar and began to sob and speak in tongues. Wow. God delivered him. But the process of including them in our home, uh, teaching them, because there were severe. It was hilarious. We talked about it yesterday at the family seminar because our bible studies would turn into family counseling sessions and i was so apprehensive about this but they're like kids you know there has to be love there has to be patience
1: it's it's very encouraging now to see their son james and tina's son aj who would come over he would always show up at our house around supper time and he would stand outside the bay window and he would look in to see if we were eating. And so, of course, we would go out, AJ, you want to come in and eat? Yeah, 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 I want to come in. And to this day, he's, for his birthday, I still make him a big gallon of sweet tea because he loves oh. my sweet tea. But now AJ has his own family. He has two children. They just bought a house. And him and Joanna have started their own, their own traditions. So it's just amazing to see what the Holy Ghost can do.
0: You Ate with Rihanna Hicks. She was a four-year-old girl. She was in foster care because her mom was so addicted to drugs that she couldn't take care of the kids. So they seized her and her baby brother and her sister. And But she talks about when she was four, she was molested when she was that young. Uh, what she had to endure, but no food in the house. So as a four-year-old little girl, she would fill a bottle with water, crawl up in her brother's crib and feed him a bottle of water to try to do something to feed her brother. And that girl, when she was 15, was so full of anger, so full of emotions, of rejection, I remember one day we had a confrontation. I don't know if she recognizes this, but in the spirit, I know that's the day that that the Holy Ghost helped me win a battle with that young lady. She came at me with such vitriol and anger. And I will be honest with you, you know how you want to respond to anger with anger. But the Holy Ghost come on me and I told her, "Rihanna, I don't care how much you hate me, how much you cuss me out, you can never stop me from loving you. Your anger will never overcome my love for you. And we had our battles after that, but God has done an incredible work. now she's married to one of the ministers of our church, that which is an incredible story. And uh and the traditions that that God has begun to give into her life. And the incredible ministry that Rihanna has with kids from broken homes. She just has an empathy. She can walk in a restaurant, and in two minutes—I mean, when we were in Vietnam, these kids don't even speak English—and they're just attracted to her because of of the healing that God has done in her life and the traditions that have begun. They're uh, they're part of our family. I mean, we do so much because they don't have children, uh, and and so they're just part of our family.
1: They don't have any children of their own, Paul and Annie Hicks, but probably two to three nights out of the week, she has a child over and she's teaching them something. They're cooking together or they're learning a new craft or they're painting or, or they're going to the park or McDonald's. She's spending time with investing in the children of Christian Growth Center now.
3: I love that. I At the table today, she um, was asking about taking someone's child this week. And she's like, I'm taking so-and-so, so I thought I could come pick up your son too and take him with us. And she pulls out her calendar to add it to her calendar. And she has all these little emojis for each child yes. that she's taking out throughout the week yes. and just calendaring it in. I was like, I love that. And she comes from brokenness and she's investing in all sorts of kids um, you know, as part of that ministry that God's called her to?
0: I didn't realize it at the time, but I knew in in this book that God had given me for the restoration of this church. The Lord said, you need to create a, fa- a familial atmosphere, and that gets more and more difficult as the church gets bigger. I hope ministers are listening to this, because if you ever lose that, the church can become fragmented. You may have a lot of people, but you don't really have a church. And the challenge is to keep that, and Satan will attack that familial side. He'll try to cause relational issues, which is very easy. When you have people that come from broken families, they know how to fight, believe me. And in this city, there are clans, there are gangs, there are all these uh, turfs. People have learned how to protect those turfs. Those barriers and those walls have to come down. And it's okay to fuss as family members, but it's only okay if we fuss God's way. Mm -hmm. And so it takes patience to deal with this, to deal with this as a pastor and as a shepherd and teaching over and over and over and over again. Uh, And church traditions that become so important to them because now until God gives them their family, then they... Receive the traditions of the church. And so many people there, they're always looking for new. In the book of Acts, there was a cult of new. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, they did nothing but looking, the Bible says, on Mars Hill, they were looking for new. Well, I like new stuff and I sing to the Lord a new song. I get all that, but there is something so familiar, family familiar, about traditions that we carry on year after year after year uh, that has to be a part of the church
2: so when when that unity that you're speaking about in your own family um is threatened or i'm sure it was at times like maybe when you guys started feeling fragmented what did you start what did you do actively to bring like rally the troops or to to bring them close?
1: My husband was very wise in the fact that he never allowed competition between the kids themselves. So there's each of them have unique traits that they do. And so we encourage those unique traits and they encourage each other. And
0: um, that is a world myth that competition, there is a place for competition, but not in a family. Mm -hmm. That's a myth. That the church is embraced from the world. Mm. That's a lie. Mm. There is a place for competition. Mainly in myself. I'm competing with myself. Mm. Not with you. If I play the perfect game. Then you have to play the perfect game to beat me. Mm. You're not my competition. I am my competition. And I've tried to teach that to our children. How How did you cultivate that? Because that's not a normal teaching, right? I don't think it is. I think God gave that to me because I had a handicapped brother. He could not compete with me. He was the eldest, and God gave me that as a young man, that that was my brother. I had to protect him because nobody else was there to protect him. And I just, I'm still fascinated today. I lost my brother at a young age, so brothers fascinate me. They still fascinate me. And when I see brothers fighting, it, causes me to be distraught. It is an act of Satan. Mm -hmm. It was Satan's lie to Cain and Abel from the very beginning. They were not in competition. They were both called by God to be great men. So, don't believe everything the world teaches you about competition. There's a place for it, but not amongst God's brothers and sisters.
1: I think the main thing we did was try to build each one up. And when their brother did good they were encouraged to say you did a good job or when their sister did good they were encouraged to say you did a good job but they knew when their time came around and they did a good job they would be complimented and lifted up too
0: that you talked about intention you have to be intentional about this stuff there has to be some some purpose that you know that you strive for that because it's not easy to do it's one thing to sit here and talk about it years later but when you're right in the mix of it and two brothers are going at it you know and you're sitting down with them saying hey uh what's going on i mean you know it's easy to just the easiest way is just beat both of them's rear in and say forget it but that's <laughs> not teaching them anything and i've i've never looked at at uh discipline as a punishment I've looked at discipline as correction and uh, this is not a penal system this is a family Mm -hmm. and so uh you know to use discretion on what is the method of correction is it a is it an award or a consequence etc I do the same thing I try to as a pastor and uh, I'm by no means a master pastor but um God's church is a family And we have to look at it as a family, and those traditions come out of that. Yes, they will have their individual families, but the more we create an atmosphere of encouragement, the more creativity thrives in that atmosphere of encouragement. And I think the thing that Satan attacks the most is the atmosphere of encouragement. Mm -hmm. He wants there to be division most of the problems in this church do not come from lack of finances it comes in relational situations where satan begins to erode and tear down relationships when that happens then the family is being attacked that is actual we are actually brothers and sisters i tell the people in this church spirit is thicker than water
3: Mm.
0: it's thicker than blood that's a huge part of the of the foundation of this church
2: this is such good stuff. Um, Can we pause? And and I would love to ask you, what book recommendations do you have for for parents or for growth or
1: just to become better at being human? (laughs) Um, What books would you recommend? The book I would recommend is an older book. It's not new, but it has a lot of good advice in it, a lot of wisdom in it, a lot of biblical principles in it. And it's called Creative Correction by Lisa Welch, I believe is her name. And it's just awesome because it not only encourages how to, it not only tells you how to take care of negative behaviors, but it also helps you encourage and promote positive behaviors. And it, I, sometimes lived by that book when the kids were little it has an index in the back to actually you can look up certain behaviors cheating back talking you can look them up and it'll give you a scripture and it'll give you a a creative way how to deal with this sometimes if you use the same discipline over and over and over the child just gets bored with it it doesn't affect them
0: for parenting i would suggest It's an older book also, but I love it. We spent many a night, my children and I, reading stories. It's called The Book of Virtues by William Bennett. It's an incredible book. It teaches character traits, not just good character traits, but the consequences of developing bad character traits. And the guy must have been brilliant because it is a massive book with many, many stories. Aesop's Fables. I don't even know where he come up with some of the stories, but it gives a parent a ton of resources to undergird and to reinforce good and bad character traits in their children. Mm-hmm. Another book I'm reading now, maybe for ministers, is called Zeal Without Burnout mm-hmm. by Christopher Ash and. Uh, One of the hardest things to do, especially in this day and age, is to minister effectively without dealing with burnout. Mm -hmm. Not just some of the answers of how to deal with burnout without losing your passion and your zeal, but also to read the signs of burnout, because I know many ministers today that are not paying attention to the signs of burnout, and that's extremely important.
3: So good. Well, those all sound like excellent books that we'll be putting in our Amazon cart. So thank you very much for the recommendations. Before we close with our Dear Young Married Couple letter, we wanted to ask you that are listening, if you're enjoying the podcast, please take 60 seconds or so and just leave us a note, um, a star rating on iTunes. If you can share with us why you love it or even how it's helping you, that would mean a whole lot. Uh, We read every review and take it to heart. Um, We're a new podcast, so your reviews make a big difference in helping us reach more couples. So thanks so much, friends. On to our Dear Young Married Couple letter. So please rewind to the first few years of your marriage. What advice do you wish you would have received? And then fill in the blank with a sentence or two or a few. And here it is, dear young married couple.
1: I wish that I would have had the courage to talk to some godly ministers and their wives and had let them know of the struggles we were facing instead I felt like we had to be the perfect married couple and we had to have the perfect walk with God and never fall down and never make any mistakes but if I had only known the mercy that they would show us and the love and the compassion and the wisdom that they could have given us to where we probably wouldn't made as many mistakes if we would have just opened up
3: Ah, they don't have to walk it alone yeah, it's good. So how about for you, Brother Elder? Dear young married couple.
0: I wished that I could have had some people in my life that I would have trusted enough to talk about financial dreams
2: mm.
0: for my family and for my kids because so much concept of ministry is we're giving ourselves totally to the ministry, which I agree with. The Bible says that a wise man leaves an inheritance to his family clear up to the fourth generation. Mm -hmm. And I had dreams, but I didn't have the know-how to accomplish those dreams. Mm -hmm. And I look back, if I had just had a harem in my life like David had, that could have just given me some advice i know this sounds a little practical but it is because finances are where a lot of families are broken Mm -hmm. and uh, somebody that had some insight i think would have helped my wife and i even be more uh stable to do dreams in this church uh if i would have had that advice well we just
2: want to thank you guys this was an awesome podcast and thank you for all the wisdom and uh, we're just so thankful to to know you and to hopefully next time even have another podcast and continue the conversation yes
0: i want to say a shout out to young married couple and thank you brother and sister king for such an important vital ministry in the day that we live in
3: thank you we honor you guys
0: feelings mutual (laughs) All right,
2: friends, we really hope that you got a ton out of today's conversation. And if you want help, if you want personal guidance with individual counseling or couples counseling, or even help with you as a couple reaching the goals you have, just reach out. Give us a call at 916-678-1797 or shoot us an email at hello at com.
3: No matter where you are in the world or in your marriage, we can set up a counseling session with you and we can work toward progress. We also post marriage advice regularly on our Instagram, which is at Dear Young Married Couple. And we'd love for you to join us in conversation there. All right. See you next week.